You are listening to the audio preaching podcast from Heritage Baptist Church in Corpus Christi, Texas, led by Pastor Johnny Che. Our church is dedicated to serving Jesus Christ and reaching the world by going forward with the gospel. We pray that you will be helped and blessed by this message from God's Word. All right, church, let's get right into the preaching. As a pastor, you're supposed to observe constantly what they say is keep your finger on the pulse of the people. What do the people need? What is the pattern that we are seeing and how can preaching either address that or prevent something from coming? You, you heard on Sunday night from my brother a very preventative message. And I try, most of the messages I preach are preventative messages, not necessarily reactive messages. I feel if you're preaching reactive messages, you're one step behind. And every now and then you have to. And this one is a reactive message, but it's not a bad thing. I want to try to encourage you. I want to try to open your eyes to what the Bible teaches about what I see going on right now. In observing the church, from different aspects, if I'm going to observe the church right now from one aspect, I would say we're in a very encouraging situation. The church is growing. The church is growing, and you're supposed to grow. You, you want to grow, and I think the Lord wants a church to grow in three different ways, and I've told you these ways before. It's supposed to grow numerically and spiritually and financially all at the same time, and, and you're going to have growth in one area, and then it needs to catch up, but you should be seeing progress in all of those areas, and we are. We are seeing progress numerically. We are seeing progress spiritually. We are seeing progress financially. God has truly been good to us. But a big area that I'm seeing in growth right now is we are growing in our influence. The church's influence in Corpus Christi is growing. More and more, I have heard here, I I heard it more, I think, this last week than any other week that I have been pastor here and even youth pastor here, more I heard this, pastor, I want you to meet my coworker. Or I want you to meet my girlfriend. I want you to meet my boyfriend. Hey, pastor, I have a guest and visitor here today. This is my mom. This is my dad. Or this is my husband. Or this is my wife. I finally got my spouse to come. I am hearing that more and more often. That excites me. And it should excite you. If it doesn't excite you, it's because you don't know the parable that we're going to go to in just a little bit. It is an exciting thing to see the church's influence growing. I was just told today, there's a missionary in New Zealand who reached out to Brother Ben and said, my church is praying for your church because we saw what's happening in Corpus Christi on Facebook. I'm not all for Facebook, and and you understand that, but... The church's influence is spreading. And that is Christ's vision. Don't you believe? It is Christ's vision for his church, for his kingdom. I understand that the kingdom of heaven and the church aren't necessarily the same thing in in all the same aspects, but as far as the local New Testament church is concerned. But God wants, Jesus wants his church and his kingdom's influence to spread. But then if I'm going to take a step back and look at the church from another perspective, I also see we're in a very intimidating situation. 
Very encouraging in one aspect, yes. Very intimidating in another one. Because what I see is a lot of people, I'm looking at you right now, and you are the minority at your workplace as far as your Christian beliefs are concerned. I'm looking at young people. You are the minority in your school as far as your Christian belief is concerned. I talk to Christians every single week. And there are very few, if any, who believe the way that you believe at your workplace. Some of you, there are very few, if any, that believe the way that you believe even in your family. Certainly in your extended family, very few of us in this church have the luxury to say my extended family is all, are all believers and they're all in church. Many of us would have to say when it comes to my extended family as a whole, very few, if any, believe the way that we believe. And then you can find a lot of people in our church. It's not just their extended family, it's their immediate family. We have ladies who come here, they, they have a husband and they have children, but they are the only ones who come. She is the only one of her family. She is the minority in her family. We can say we're... Just look at our church. We had 269 people here on Sunday. That's fantastic, but that is a drop in the bucket compared to 300,000 people in Corpus Christi. I pray, I pray often, Lord, would you give us 1%? Would you give us 1% of Corpus Christi? 1% is 3,000 people. Do you not think there's 1% of Corpus Christi that is looking for something like this? 269 people is great compared to 300,000. We're the minority. We can all say that, but I, I feel especially for those who, they're the minority in their immediate family. That's difficult. It's difficult to be the minority in your extended family even, and in your workplace and in your school. But do you realize that was also Christ's vision for his kingdom? And we're going to learn that from Matthew chapter 13. One verse, Matthew chapter 13, verse 33, we will stand. I have four points for you tonight, and I'm wanting to get through them quickly. I know that many of you have sick loved ones that you need to get home to, and you've had a very busy week, give me your attention just for a little bit so that I can encourage you and prepare you for the future. Exciting times, yes, right now. Encouraging times, yes. Intimidating times, it's intimidating to be the minority. I understand that. But it's all part of God's plan, and I want you to see it. Another parable, verse 33, Matthew 13, another parable spake he unto them, the kingdom of heaven is like unto leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till the whole was leavened. Lord, bless the preaching of your word. We ask this for your sake, for your glory, that your Holy Spirit may move freely throughout this room. Watch over those who could not be here. Let them know that we miss them very, very much. Bring us more people, Lord, so that we have laborers to go into the harvest that is so ready. We ask this in your name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. 
So a parable means to cast alongside. The word parable means to cast alongside. It's not an allegory. Uh, an allegory is something where every single thing in the story stands for something. And you get, you get into trouble when you do that. You have some expositors and commentators. They're going to look at the three measures of meal. I, I, read, I read a commentary that said the three measures of meal stand for Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And then another one says the three measures of meal stand for the body, soul, and spirit of man. And then another one is talking about the, like, one appearance of Christ and another appearance of Christ. And then they, like, came up with it. It's just, it, it doesn't, the three measures of meal was just a normal amount back then. It's not an allegory, but it's a, it is an understandable story that you cast alongside a story that's difficult to understand. And the purpose is if you can understand this, then you can understand this. If you can understand how this works, then you can understand how that works. And Jesus used parables often. So in order to explain a, a mystery, a difficult to understand concept of the kingdom of heaven, he casts alongside it the story that a lot of people would understand. A lady taking leaven or yeast and putting it into three measures of meal, waiting for a little bit, and at some point, the whole lump of meal is leavened. Ladies, if you bake it all, my, my wife and I were looking for deep dish pizza, Chicago-style deep dish pizza when we first came here, and nobody sells it. People claim to sell it, but it's not the right stuff. So we looked up, uh, we looked up a recipe online, and we, I had to learn for the first time how to use yeast. And put it in, and you put it into the dough, and then you set it in a bowl and put it off to the side, usually with a cover or a damp cloth or something like that. And you come back, and it's doubled, tripled in size because it has fermented. And that is the yeast, that is the leaven at work. Everybody would have understood that. And with that lesson, the Lord is bringing out four lessons about the kingdom of heaven that I would like to relay to you. First of all, Jesus is teaching God's work begins as a minority. God's work begins small. Brother John already preached it. Little is much when God is in it. God's work, God's kingdom begins as a minority. It begins with few when compared to the task that it is given in order to accomplish. There are some churches out there, Bible-preaching churches, that have 3,000 members, but they're in, they're in a metropolis of millions and millions of people. That is few. And that's the title of my message, Few But Fervent. It's okay to be few as long as you're fervent. And what God is teaching is my kingdom, my disciples, my work is always going to start small, like a lady puts leaven in meal. There were three measures of meal here. There were certainly not three measures of yeast that she put into that, three measures of leaven. That is not how it works. Does anyone watch I Love Lucy? Nobody watches I Love Lucy. There's one, there's one episode where Lucy and Ethel dare Ricky and Fred, that they could live in the old times longer than the other people, so they dress up old, and, and Ethel is making her own butter, and Lucy decides to make her own bread. And she tells Ethel at one point, it took, I had to go to three stores to get enough yeast, because she misread the, the recipe, 
and by the end of it, her, her kitchen is filled with bread. So <laughs> it's a funny episode. You should watch it. I do not condone the entire, she's a horrible person. I do not condone the entire show, but that is a fun episode. So the leaven in this parable is a vast minority when compared to the meal. Likewise, Jesus is teaching, when I see a school with thousands of students in it, I am not going to put hundreds of believers in it. I'll put a few. And when I see a family that needs to be reached, more than likely I'm not going to reach all the family at one time, though I could. I'll put one. And when I see a workplace of hundreds and hundreds of people, I'm not going to fill that workplace with hundreds and hundreds of disciples. To begin with, I'll put a few. I'll put a handful in there. So, sir, you say, I'm the only one at my work. Have you ever thought God planned it that way? I know it's discouraging. I know it's discouraging when everybody else has their voice. But it seems like when you as a Christian, and, and a, a true Christian, it seems like you, lady, when you, when you speak your beliefs, you're going to be silenced. It can be discouraging. It can be intimidating. Have you ever thought that's how God wanted it to be? Now, why? Why does he want it to be that way? Why does he only sprinkle a few in that school of thousands? Why does he only speak, put one in the family? Why does he only put one? Well, first of all, you read in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. He says, ye see your calling, brethren. Look, look around at those of you who believe. There are not many mighty. There are not many noble. There are not many smart and wise as far as the world is concerned. Now, I'm not saying you're all dumb, but uh, there, there, are there are people out there who speak 10 different languages, and by the time they're 21, they're grandmasters at chess, they've already written three books. They're wise as far as the world is concerned. See your calling, brethren. We, we, don't, have, we don't have any of that. We don't have many of noble birth that are, that are believers. We, we don't have many who are mighty as far as this world is concerned. Why? Because God says, I choose the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. I choose the weak things to confound the strong. I choose the base things to confound that which is mighty, so that no flesh will glory in his presence. It would be very easy if a school of thousands had only one unbeliever and 999 believers, and that school was living for Christ. But it would be very easy for that school to take credit for that. But when it starts with one, when it starts with one in that school and then one turns to two, I'm getting ahead of myself, but you know where I'm going. And then two turns to three and three turns to four. And suddenly you have a secular high school that is now going up to their principal and saying, hey, we want to have a Bible study. Who takes credit for that? The Lord has to take credit for that. So why does the Lord work with minority? When he wants to accomplish a task, when there's a Goliath to be killed, why doesn't he send Saul, who's head and shoulders above? Why does he choose David, the shepherd boy? So many times you can go back in scripture and you can see when there was a vast army and God says, no, what about Gideon? What about Gideon? An innumerable amount of Midianites and what is it, 30, 33,000 to begin with? This is too many. Too many. He whittles it down to 300. Why? That no flesh would gory in his presence. But there's another reason why. There's another reason why you might be the only one in your school, in your family, in your workplace. As far as leaven is concerned, 
A little is all it takes. Isn't that cool? A little is all it takes. Lucy didn't understand. It's, it's a living organism. See, that's the thing. That's the thing. Jesus is teaching. It starts small. But number two, my kingdom's inhabitants might be the minority, but they're alive. They're living. Right? Yeast is a living organism. Leaven is a living organism. And life changes everything. Answer me. I am trying to trick you, but just, just answer me. If you have one dog versus 100 lions, who wins? The lions. Every time. One dog, 100 lions. Every time. One dog versus one lion. Who wins? The lion. What if I told you the lion's dead and the dog's alive? Dog is going to win. And Solomon mentions this in Ecclesiastes. He says, anybody that is joined unto something living has hope. Anything that is joined to something living has hope, for a living dog is better than a dead lion, he says. So get this, so get this, so get this. You, you will be the minority as a believer. Jesus said that from the very beginning. Matthew 13 is the first chapter, is the first time that a parable is told in the first gospel of the Bible. And he's already saying, let me set it out from the beginning, you will be the minority. But it doesn't matter that the meal greatly outnumbers the leaven because the leaven is the life and the meal is dead. So as you seek to obey Christ, you will be the minority. You will be the minority at your school. You will be the minority at your work. You will be the minority in your family, extended and sometimes immediate. That is how it's going to begin. As a church, we're going to be the minority in our city. As a local church, we're going to be the minority in our city. As, as a denomination, the independent fundamental Baptists, we are going to be the minority in our country. We're certainly going to be the minority in the world. But when you're saved, you're alive. The Bible says your spirit is quickened, right? Jesus says, those that hear my words and do them, you have passed from death unto life. And because you're alive, you have the power. You have the power to bring change in a dead world. One verse of Jesus saying the kingdom of heaven is like unto this has so much in it. Because you're alive, what did Jesus say, Brother John? All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. So go. So go ye therefore, go ye 120 into the whole wide world. I understand that is an intimidating task, but they're dead, you're alive. And when you're alive, you can bring change on something that's dead, no matter how big it is, no matter how much you're the, you are the minority. Now, maybe you ask, how do I bring that change? I'm just a kid. How do I bring that change? Or I'm new at this, or I'm not a preacher, I'm not good with my words. Jeremiah tried that one, Moses tried that one. How can I exact change at my workplace and in my school and my family? Because I think you want to. I don't think you want to see your family go to hell. I don't think you want to see your coworkers go to hell. 
No matter how much you don't like that one manager, you don't want to see him go to hell. You don't want to see her to go to hell. I believe you want to bring change. Wouldn't it be incredible if you could sit on Sunday in a row of your coworkers, in a row of your classmates, a row of your neighbors, a row of your family members? Wouldn't it be wonderful to see generation after generation after generation of your family in church? I think you want to see that. So how do you do that? The same way leaven changes the dough. Leaven is placed in the midst of the meal. All right, we are called to be separate, but we are not, we are called to separation, not isolation. We're not locking, locking ourselves like monks in a monastery. Separation, not isolation. Not of the world, but in the world. Jesus said, I send you forth as sheep in the midst, in the midst, in the midst of wolves. He's going to put you in there. And the yeast doesn't instantly, it's not like a poof, right? It doesn't instantly change the whole, but it changes the whole by simply interacting with the molecules that are next to it. So it's not, it's not only the minority, but it's alive. And it's not only alive, but it's interactive. If you're going to be alive, you're going to be interactive. And the leaven simply influences whatever it touches. It doesn't have to travel great distances. The, the yeast and the leaven that's in the middle isn't, don't take me wrong, isn't worried right now about the, the meal that's on the outside. It'll get there. But right, that's, but right now it just needs to worry about, I just need to bump and, and touch and influence and bite and, and bother the molecules that are by me. Christianity is an upsetting religion. It should be. It should be. Remember when the world first started seeing Christianity spread? They said, these men have turned us upside down. Now, what they don't understand is we're turning it right side up. But when, when the lost person comes in contact with a Christian... They should in some way be upset. Now, I'm not saying to be obnoxious, and I'm not saying we're being rude. Upset is, doesn't mean to anger. It means just to, ch we should be trying to change something. That's what Christianity is supposed to do. And it just starts with the person next to you. That's why whenever we have a missionary come here, and they say, I'm going to Botswana. That's great, fantastic. How many people have you led to the Lord here? And you'd be surprised at how many people want to travel great distances to lead somebody to the Lord, but they're not leading anybody to the Lord here. Wait a second. You are not going to lead somebody to the Lord in Botswana if you're not leading somebody to the Lord in your workplace. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Amen, preacher. I'll amen myself. You are not going to travel and do great things for the Lord if you're not even doing the simple things for the Lord. He says that over and over and over. I trust the great tasks to the people who will do the simple ones. And I am certainly not going to send anybody anywhere across the miles that isn't going to lead somebody to the Lord right across the street. All the leaven has to do is touch and bother what's around it. You remember when Tert Tertullus was his name? Tertullus in Acts, uh, one of the 20s, 27 maybe it is? 
He's a lawyer and he's called to give an account against Paul. And Tertullus says this about Paul. This man is a pestilent fellow. I like that. We might change the name of our church to Pestilent Baptist Church. It would get attention, that, that's for sure. Here's what he's saying. Every person this man touches, he infects and he keeps touching. He's not social distancing. Everywhere he goes, we lock him up in prison. He's talking to the person who's, who's, who's guarding him. We chain him up to a Roman guard. He's witnessing to the Roman guard. We send him to Rome. He's witnessing at Rome. We beat him at Jerusalem. He stops on the way, beat, beaten and bloody, and gives it. He just keeps on spreading this stuff. And there is not one more. There is not one person that I can see in the Bible that affected more change, humanly speaking, than Paul. And here's what he did. Who was next to me? Who's next to me? Who's next to me? Who's next to me? I'm talking to the person next to me. And then that person, if they get it, can talk to the person next to them. And then the person next to them. And then the person next to them. And the person next to them. He was alive and he was interactive. You are supposed to change what you touch and you're supposed to touch everything. <laughs> everything that is around you. The Amazon driver who comes by really quick, don't take this the wrong way. Touch him. Touch him. Bother him. Upset him. You, you know what I mean by that. Okay? Talk to him about the Lord. Leave him a track. Give him something. We, we went out knocking, and it's, it's been tough lately. For, for me, on the south side, it's like knocking in Baghdad right now. It's crazy. But I just want to get that track in the door. I don't care if they, if they throw it away, that's on them. But I'm going to get it in the door. And we had a couple of Catholics back to back. And one of them, nope, I'm Catholic. Nope, I'm Catholic. Boom. It's like, you know what? If that happens again, I'm going to be ready. And the very next person, the very next person, nope, I'm Catholic. Nope, I'm Catholic. I said, great. That means you'll pray for us, right? That means you'll take this and you'll pray for us, right? What is he going to say? No. <laughs> so he took it. I was like, oh, and by the way, there's some verses on the back of that that show you how you can know for sure you're going to heaven. Have a nice, have a nice day. That person will never be able to say, nobody told me. And he might think, well, he was a little pushy. Good. Now, church, we're, we're drawing a line here, right? We're not supposed to be obnoxious. You understand what I'm saying. If somebody makes it very clear they're not interested, that, that's perfectly fine. But what I'm saying, all I'm saying is if you are going, you may never change the world, but you can change someone's world. Okay? I would say Paul changed the world. He, he was a, he was an extraordinary Christian and he changed the world. But the only reason Paul changed the world is because Barnabas changed Paul's when nobody else would be kind to him, Barnabas was kind to him. And before that, um, who went and saw him at, at uh, Straight Street? Who was the first one? Who went and saw him? Brother Matt? Who was the first one? Who went and saw him? Annas. Right? So Ananias? Ananias. 
Paul changed the world. Ananias changed Paul's world. I want to change the world. I want our influence to grow. I, and I want us to keep our eyes on missions. I'm not saying that. I, we will send whoever, whoever we can, wherever the Lord sends them. But my goodness, church, let us not lose sight and let us never for one minute think that just because we send people to the outskirts doesn't mean we are not supposed to be bothering and witnessing and shining the light here. If you want to change the world, change your neighbor's world. And change your coworker's world. And your brother and your sister and your spouse and your mother and your cousins by the dozens. How do you do that? How do you do that? Maybe when you know your coworker's having a bad day, you're, you're not cracking open the 1611 KJV and saying, well, it says in Job, I understand that, but you might, you might just be saying, sincerely, you know, I believe, I'm, I believe in God and I believe he hears my prayer and I'm gonna pray for you. And if you need anything, you please just let me know. Action, that's it. If you're alive, be interactive. And if you're interactive, Jesus promises you'll be effective. Right here in the verse, she put a little bit inside a lot of meal, but it was alive and because it was alive, it was interactive. And because it was interactive, it was effective. Till the whole was leavened. There is no stopping an active and interactive Christian. Do you believe that? I'm not saying you'll never be rejected. I'm not saying that you're going to lead every single person to the Lord that you ever talk to. But a Christian that is alive and is therefore interactive shall be effective. And didn't the Lord tell the church, the gates of hell won't be able to prevail against you. As long as you stay active and interactive, you go and you charge, you charge, you charge, you charge, you charge, you will be effective. May I remind you, this all started with one man. One man named Jesus of Nazareth. This all started with that one man. But he was alive. And because he was alive, he was active. And, be, and he was not only active, he was interactive with those around him. And because he was interactive, he was effective. And one turned into 12. And then he told the 12, okay, y'all just come real close and let's chill. No, he said, I'm sending you out. I'm sending you out. You are going to be alive and you are gonna be interactive. And then 12 turned into 120. And then he said, all right, guys, chill. Now, you're going to be alive and you're going to be interactive. And you're going to start here. Oh, this is good. You're going to start here in Jerusalem. But you're not going to stop there. Okay? Then you're going to go to Judea. And then you're going to go to Samaria. And before you know it, the whole... The, the whole, the whole. But I don't know how we can do the whole. Whoa, 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 whoa. You start here. You start here. And you have no part. The Lord is coming back whether you witness or not. Just saying. And the Lord is going to win whether you witness or not. But if you want to have a part of the whole, you better affect your Jerusalem. 
And the Jerusalem certainly is our Corpus Christi, but it's also your family. It's your school, it's your class, it's your coworkers. That is where you begin. 120 turned to 3,000, about. And then 3,000 turned to 5,000. And then 5,000 turned to... So what is the future of a church of 200? In a ball of dough, that measures 300,000. What is our future? I don't know our future, but I know our potential. And Jesus says your potential is if you are active, if you are alive and interactive, you will be effective. You will be. In fact, you can get to the, you can get to the point where they're all saved. Why don't we see that? Why don't we see a church reaching their entire city? It happened in John chapter 4. Why don't we see it anymore? I, I don't think churches have enough faith to do it. So you may be the only one in your family. Be alive and be interactive. And you will be effective. It might take a year, Brother Mike. But be alive and be interactive. You might be the only one in your school, be alive and interactive. You might be the only one in your work, be alive and interactive. Brother Mark was constantly, he's, he's away for work right now. He was constantly telling me, Pastor, it's hard, it's hard. I'm the only one at my work, I'm the only one. But he never gave up. Suddenly he said, hey, Pastor, be praying for this person, be praying for this person. I've been able to open up conversations with them. What started as one, Brother Mark now consistently has two other people from his work coming to church. Saved and baptized here. Alive and interactive. You will be effective. And, and that's why I'm hearing more. I'm hearing more. Remember what I said at the beginning. I'm hearing more than ever. Pastor, meet the one next to me. Meet my spouse, meet my child, meet my brother, meet my sister. You are just simply interacting and showing the life that is in you. See, Christianity is not something working its way in. Christianity is something working its way out. If a church is not being effective, if a Christian is not being effective... Are you being interactive? If you're not being interactive, I have to ask, are you alive? Because Jesus seems to say in his word something along these lines. When something as big as God moves into you, he's going to come out. You are a city on a hill. And when I see somebody who claims his name but has no effect in witnessing and no interaction in witnessing, I've got to ask, do you have the life within you? Church, if you do, don't let anything stop you. 
Keep on pushing. Keep on reaching. Keep on touching. Be pestilent. Spiritually sneeze on everybody you can. And trust the results to the Lord. I am calling for men and women and teenagers to rededicate this year. I'm just going to be alive and interactive. I'm just going to be alive and interactive. And I'm going to trust that I will be effective because Jesus promised that I would. Thank you for listening to our audio preaching podcast. For more information about our ministries, or if you would like to get in contact with us, please visit our website at heritagebaptistcctx.org. May God bless you as you go forward with the gospel this week.